Hi, everyone, and welcome to Things We Said Today, a bi-weekly Beatles podcast where we discuss anything and everything about the Beatles together in solo and all things Beatles related as well. I'm Darren DeVivo from WFEV Radio in New York City. We're a non-commercial public radio station broadcasting at 90.7 FM. Um, and you can listen anywhere uh, on our website, WFUV.org, and on our app. I've been at WFUV now 30, 38 years, 37 years. Heck, but who's counting? I was. No, I'm kidding. Uh, and I want to welcome you to today's show. But first, I want to introduce you to my co-hosts. <laughs> they're co-hosts and cohorts. No, they're co-hosts. Ken Michaels, longtime radio personality, actually, coincidentally enough, has uh, been broadcasting a little longer than I've been. Uh, I'm much younger than Ken. Uh, most of the 40 years uh, ballpark that he's been broadcasting, he's been hosting Beatles-oriented programs. Um, spent a little time at XM Satellite Radio and currently hosts uh, Every Little Thing, the syndicated Beatles radio show and the video cast. He's one of the hosts of the video cast, Talk More Talk, a solo Beatles video cast. How are you, old man? I mean, hi, Ken. <laughs> rub it in, rub it in. Just, You're a few years younger than me. Not that much. No, that's right. <laughs> and uh, also our good friend, uh, Alan Cozens here, of course, Alan's the acclaimed writer, journalist, and music critic. Look at this, who spent nearly 40 years at the New York Times, approximately ballpark, but hey, who's counting? <laughs> uh, writing about classical music, of course, the Beatles. These days you could catch uh, his work in the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, other publications. He's written a handful of books, including The Beatles, From the Cavern to the Rooftop, Got That Something, How the Beatles, I Want to Hold Your Hand, Changed Everything and uh, some other books in the classical music genre as well. And I believe something has just been published that I didn't get a chance to read yet in the last day or two in the Wall Street Journal regarding uh, Let It Be slash Get Back. How are you, Alan? Great, Darren. How about you? Um, doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Coming from the DeVivo kitchen today. Yes, I see. Oh, nice. Today. <laughs> Thanks Actually, for not pointing out that I'm way older than both of you. <laughs> but uh, you did just actually publish something uh, in the Wall Street Journal, which I yeah, know it's actually in today. in today's paper, which Thanks. is uh, what is today the twenty seventh. Wednesday the twenty seventh, yeah. Hmm. So a little later than um, I would have thought, but um, you know, the news it backs up and all that yeah. stuff. So it's right. it's just my Let It Be review that uh, I think I mentioned last show. Right, right. Hmm. So um, we've got a couple of things to talk about today. Uh, but as always, when we uh, get things started, I'll give you a little less of my ceiling there. I'm going to hand things over. It's my hand. I'm going to hand things over to Ken, uh, who's got the news. How are you, Ken? Give us I'm news. I'm good. Okay. First of all, we start off with news about Let It Be, which has debuted on Billboard's top 200 album charts at number five. Very respectable right there. And it also debuts at number two on the official album charts in the UK. So I hope that the album hangs on for quite a while. And, uh, you know, with the Get Back documentary about to air on Disney, that'll probably increase more interest in all things from this period. And I'd like to see Let It Be hang around on the charts for, for quite a bit. Can I jump in with a question? Sure. 
So um, it's charted as a debut, like it's a new album. It's not but treated you know, like a new album. It's more like a re-entry. It is. is it, that how it, like if you've looked, I don't know if you've seen a chart. Online, I have. How many weeks it's been on the charts from its original issue? Yes, it does. Okay. And it, its peak position, which obviously was one. But there are ways of determining the charts that are confusing to me because I would, I would imagine that it's all the different configurations of Let It Be added into this to make it at number five. Okay. So, yeah, but I'm so happy. All these box sets have all done very well on the charts from Sgt. Pepper on. Paul McCartney will be appearing at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ceremonies this coming Saturday in Cleveland. Paul will be inducting the Foo Fighters, no doubt, because of his friendship he's built over the years with Dave Grohl. Among those that will also be inducted with strong Beatle connections happen to be Billy Preston. Uh, receiving an award for musical excellence and Todd Rundgren with countless Beatle connections and the great songwriter, Carol King. Um, you know, I'm really happy to hear that Paul's going to be there to induct the Foo Fighters. It's just that Billy Preston's also going to be inducted. And certainly you take a look at what's happening right now with all this activity with Let It Be. And he was such a big part of it. It would be nice if Paul was in some way involved with inducting Billy as well. We shall see. Paul nothing, was also. Sorry, that, nothing with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame makes sense. So. This is true. This is true. But I'm still happy that he's there and uh, I'm happy for the people that get in. There's always going to be that never ending debate. Every time this happens around this time this year of all the ones that should be in there that aren't. And then there are people who, are, who will say that some of the ones who are inducted don't deserve it. But that's for another show. <laughs> um, Paul was also present receiving an award last Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night at the Jacob Javits Center in New York City for the annual fundraiser for the Robin Hood Foundation. This was to raise uh, money for victims of COVID in New York City, and the event raised $77.5 million. It was also to remember the 20th anniversary of the concert for New York at Madison Square Garden, which Paul spearheaded and performed at for the victims of the 9-11 attacks. Paul was at this event with his wife, Nancy, and other musicians were on hand who performed, including Bruce Springsteen, Alicia Keys, and Nick Jonas. And the New York, ports, the New York Post reports that Paul did not sing, but he sang the praises of New York City when he accepted an award for organizing the concert for 9-11. So actually, just going back to the previous uh, news about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, if Paul does perform at all, it would mark the first time that he would be in front of a, an actual audience on stage since COVID and since his last tour, not counting the virtual appearances when he did Lady Madonna and uh, when the Saints go marching in, playing the trumpet. So we'll see if Paul performs, and that's uh, this coming Saturday. For his new book, The Lyrics, Paul read from his book for a series on the BBC called Inside the Songs. And he discussed 10 of his compositions, giving background information for them. And it's, it's actually kind of odd to hear him read from the book, as opposed to naturally just talking about it. Paul was interviewed in Reader's Digest, where he said he has stopped signing interviews. He says, it always struck me as a bit strange. Here, can I write your name down on the back of this till receipt, please? Why? We both know who I am. 
Paul also doesn't understand why anyone would want a poor quality selfie with the 79 year old icon and insisted he would rather have a nice chat with his fans. This has been getting a lot of attention lately. I didn't and, hear that. Uh, and, yeah, it's it's rather odd. I mean, it's it's so strange. Paul has always been so willful at giving his autograph more than any of the Beatles. And he's always talked about how when he was a teenager and he idolized certain people, whether it was Buddy Holly or the Everly Brothers and what a thrill it was for him to meet any of these people. And I'm sure that he wanted autographs, you know, as a as a young rock fan. And now he doesn't seem to understand why people would want that from him. So I don't know. Alan, any comments? I think he's probably just tired of it. I mean, he has been doing it for, you know, maybe 60 plus years. And uh, yeah, it is kind of odd, but, you know, it just, it, 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 there's, there's a, I suppose, a way, a degree to which you can say it is part of the job. Um, mm -hmm. And he hasn't officially retired yet. <laughs> But I don't know. I mean, you know what? I, I think like with Ringo, I mean, it's it's it seems a little slightly churlish. But mm. if you don't want to sign autographs, you don't want to sign autographs. I'm sure he I'm sure he would sometimes, you know, I mean, it depends probably on the situation. I, I, I think he just doesn't want people running up to him, you know, while he's eating dinner and asking to sign something. I mean, he's been been he's taken this view for quite a while about selfies you know mm. um he i think he wants to control a bit more what images of him are out there um right. but you know uh, in, in terms of not understanding i mean it, it to to figure out why someone would want a picture of themselves standing next to someone as famous as paul or want an autograph of of his, you know, on something that they had, uh, you know, figuring that out really isn't brain surgery. It's not a question of knowing everyone knowing who he is, you know, it's, uh -huh. it's, it's, it's wanting a souvenir of the event in a way, you know? Um, so it just seemed like that was an odd thing to say. Um, but what can I say? I mean, I, I, I don't, uh, I'm not in charge of his policies. <laughs> uh huh. So well, you know, I wonder if he Ringo, had a bad experience recently. What's that? I wonder if he had a bad experience recently, mm. you know, with a Possibly. fan that may have crossed the line somewhere, you mm. know, along the way. I know with Ringo, he was very upset that, you know, he'd sign autographs on CDs or whatever. And next thing he knew, it would be selling on eBay. Right. So that kind of really put him off. But I don't think that's the reason why Paul is is saying this, but. It could just be something he really feels or it could just be a flippant remark for the time. Who knows? But uh, got a lot of attention in the media. I'm glad also, I got my Paul and Ringo autographs. So, you know. Okay. You're safe. <laughs> yep. Maybe Ellen is telling on Ringo's fault. Just found out about this about an hour before our taping. Katy Perry sings All You Need Is Love in a new Holiday Gap commercial that started running yesterday. The Gap will donate up to $100,000 to the organization Baby to Baby. This is a nonprofit that provides, provides living in poverty 
um, children living in poverty with all the basic necessities that every child deserves. They will donate $1 for every stream of the new track on Spotify. Interesting. Really great idea. And I heard the version. It's, it's, um, it's nice. Starts off with acoustic guitar, then strings, then, then orchestra and brass. Kind of close to the Beatles original, a little bit slower, but you know, it's a good version from Katy Perry. Also, speaking of covers, Spin reports that the band Wilco have discovered and released two Beatles songs from the Let It Be period, Dig a Pony and Don't Let Me Down. This is part of Amazon Music's month-long rediscover campaign. Lead guitarist for Wilco and Nels Klein is quoted as saying, what a delight to convene in the loft and essay two songs by that cool underground band, The Beatles. I envy us. There you go. I know you're a big Wilco fan, Darren. So yes, but I didn't know. That. <laughs> Thank you, Ken. Yeah, that so. one got past me. Yeah, well, I'm the sure loft, some of the stuff does. The loft is there. Uh, the, the the loft is sounds like a great place. It's their home base, their studio in Chicago, mm -hmm. and I know that they. It's I think it's used. Other artists use it as well, and I've heard it's like a going to. Uh, if you're a kid, it's like being in a candy shop, you know, with the equipment that's around vintage. And so that's, that's very nice. That's, that's, yeah. And I like the fact that they're, this is a timely thing with the two Let It Be songs. Ringo Starr has just made a new video for his cover of the rock and roll classic, Rock Around the Clock. It's a simple performance video recorded at Ringo's studio with him alternating between singing in front of a microphone and playing behind his drum kit. Also in the video are two musicians on the record, Joe Walsh on guitar and Nathan East on upright bass. It's just a good, fun video. All right, um, news about Julian Lennon I have here. He has a new book coming out November 9th called Passing the Tribe, a graphic novel, which he worked on with illustrator Bart Davis. The book is available now for pre-order. It's described as a graphic novel that showcases young people protecting our critical environment and teaching us that we are all part of the struggle to save the Earth's future and sustain the human race. Julian's previous books have all been aimed at children to teach them the importance of saving the environment. There will be a live online book signing as well, happening November the 9th at 2 p.m. Eastern to watch that and to order the book. You can go to premiercollectibles.com. And on that page, you can actually ask Julian a question while he's doing his live signing. Okay. A few more items here. Darren has a question. Okay. Uh, how, how do you do a book signing online? I'm not totally sure about this. I think that you can pre-order it by yourself. But you can also do some kind of pre-order that's connected with his actual maybe signing it at that time and answering your question. But you'd have to go to that website to find out, premiercollectibles.com. There may they be don't something make it... in there for Paul. You know, maybe he can do online, <laughs> online signings. Maybe he'll agree to that then. <laughs> uh, major passing to speak of, that being of Jay Black, who was the second Jay of Jay and the Americans. He has died at the age of 82. Um, there's not much of a Beatle connection there. However, 
Uh, Jay and the Americans were one of the opening acts for the Beatles' first concert in the U.S. at the Washington Coliseum in 1964, as were the Righteous Brothers and Tommy Rowe. Great singer. So many classics there from Caramia to uh, this magic moment. A lot of them only in America. With special thanks to Greg Rapa, one of our listeners, we learned that Criterion will be releasing the Beatles' first film, A Hard Day's Night, as a 4K Blu-ray Blu-ray combo. Special features include 4K restoration approved by director Richard Lester with three audio options, a monaural soundtrack, as well as a stereo and 5.1 surround mixes supervised by sound, soundtrack, uh, sound producer Joss Martin at Abbey Road Studios presented in uncompressed monaural, uncompressed stereo, and DTS HD master audio on the 4K Blu-ray and Blu-ray. The street date for this is next January the 18th. Boy, we've come a long way from eight tracks. Well, for all this 5.1 stuff, we have to go to Alan's house and listen to all of it. Yeah, well, you... <laughs> Welcome it's just <laughs> no i'm laughing because i'm just thinking about the equipment that i if, if you only could see the equipment that i have that i can't figure out even where the power button is on after <laughs> it's the flow connecting to the dynaflow <laughs> what does that mean i don't know also thanks to alan here uh there is a special edition of tv guide that has just come out and on the front cover it reads the beatles greatest tv appearances but it's much more than that. There are chapters in there on their movies, essential videos, the Beatles themselves recalling their historic days behind the camera, famous people explaining why the Beatles matter to them, like Bruce Springsteen, Billy Joel, Taylor Swift, Henry Winkler, and Oprah Winfrey. Um, also, one last thing, Peter Asher will bring his concert show, a musical memoir of the 60s and beyond, to the Grammy Museum in Los Angeles. That's happening October 30th, same night as uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. To find out more and to purchase tickets, this is for the actual show, not a virtual thing. You can uh, find out on our post for this on our Facebook page and also on my Facebook page as well. All right, that's all the news. And we go back to you, Darren. Well done, Ken. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> Um, Thank you. We're going to talk about two recent releases. We're a little behind on the first one uh, and share some thoughts about A, Ringo's latest EP, Change the World. And there you go. Alan's got a prop. Oh, come on. That's not fair. You didn't, you didn't, I would have here. No, I just, I would have had brought, brought mine up here. See, I'm in the kitchen. So the only room left in my house where my music is not like taken over <laughs> in about five years, my CDs will be making, uh, we'll have a new dinette set here with, uh, uh, so we're going to talk about change the world. Ringo's new EP first, then we'll get into the, the Beatles get back book. Here comes the prop. Very nice. Oh, and a bookmark too. Very nice. Poking out of there. Uh, this book's been, it's been out a couple of weeks now. Um, and I know that uh, I ordered mine. I know there were some folks that ordered them uh, where they weren't getting delivered like close enough to the publishing date. And mine actually did get uh, delayed. Um, and I'm, who knows why? 
So my physical copy of the book actually arrived just a couple of days ago, and I haven't had a chance to dive into it, but I've uh, uh, been uh, looking a lot uh, uh, at the book online. So, um, so we're going to chat about that, going to chat about Ringo, and we're going to start with Ringo, the EP Changed the World, uh, Ringo's second EP released this year. Now that Ringo, as you all probably know, has said he's not going to record any more albums, he finds it a lot easier uh, when he's got a few songs that he's finished up to just put them out. Um, he's one of a handful of veteran musicians who has said no more albums. Cheryl Crow comes to mind. Uh, there are some other artists who, of course, don't come to mind now that I'm bringing it up um, that have put out EPs. Um, the Doobie Brothers actually just released a new album and simultaneously put out an EP, which was like a sampler of the album, a um, little redundant. Mm. Uh, I know last year, I believe Jefferson Starship put out an EP. Uh, and there's a few others scattered around. It's a trend that newer artists, younger artists, they use the EP much, much more often. And Ringo's now embraced that, that logic of uh, releasing EPs. And Change the World is the follow-up to Zoom In. Four songs, uh, as opposed to five that were on Zoom In. So uh, we'll go around the horn here and uh, check in first with Alan, get his thoughts on uh, the four tunes making up Change the World. Okay. Um, you know, my impression of the CD as a whole, the EP... It's sort of like uh, it's sort of like he released side one earlier in the year, and now he's released side two of the album. And he's 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 talked about possibly combining these and and uh, and putting them out as an album in, in one of the interviews, um, presumably with a couple of other tracks, you know, to make it worthwhile. Um, my my overall impression was that you know, like a lot of his recent releases it was okay you know it's not something that's gonna you know live in my cd player for you know months um but then again very few things really do um uh change the world and the third track coming undone sounded very ringo-ish to me in the sense of there were certain like little melodic turns that are ones that he has used in other recent things. Um, you know, even though those two songs were not written by him, um, I think maybe people who are writing songs for him, um, you know, know what suits his voice well and are, are writing that way. Plus that's his interpretive style too. So, you know, I mean, I, I, I tried especially with coming undone to to figure out what song it sounded like it sounded very close to something at times and it was just too elusive i couldn't i just couldn't put my my fingers on it um just the way the, <laughs> the one in between those two is a is a reggae track and uh it's you know it's nice it's pleasant um uh and then rock around the clock um to tell you the truth that was the one i liked the best <laughs> um, you know, you already know the song and, uh, he is pretty good with rock oldies. Um, 
especially ones that he feels close to, you know, from his childhood. And, and uh, he put a lot into that. I think, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of energy in it and Joe Walsh's guitar solos are great. And uh, it just sounds like it was a lot of fun to do. And um you know what, uh, uh, if he were to do that more frequently, and he's done some oldies over the years, you know, things that have come out as, you know, B-sides in Japan only, that kind of thing. Um, he's good at it. I wouldn't mind if, uh, you know, each of his EPs were to have something like that, just to sort of uh, let his hair down, so to speak, let, let loose and, uh, and do it. Hmm. That's pretty much it for me. All right. Kent? Well, just to add what you said, Alan, on so many of his albums, he's covered an oldie from the past. And most of those covers I've enjoyed and really suit him, I think. Um, when it comes to Ringo's music in general, I listen for several reasons. First of all, I listen for his voice because this is a voice that's been part of my life since I was a little kid. There's a comfort level there. I love his voice. I know that it's not the greatest most versatile voice in the world. He's got a limited range and all, but the songs that he chooses to do fit, you know, fit his voice really well. And um, I listened for his drumming and I think his drumming has been superb. And I like the way that it's mixed on his records these days, much more upfront. And I listened for the songs and probably, well, most importantly, I try to listen now for uh, his songwriting. Um, unfortunately, between this EP and the last EP, because it was done during COVID, he hasn't been collaborating with all the people that have been on his post-Mark Hudson albums. You know, the, the Dave Stewart's and Van Dyke Parks and Richard Marks and Gary Burr and those people. And it's basically been Bruce Sugar, who kind of does the mixing as Ringo does the production. And um, on this EP and the previous one, Zoom In, they both wrote one song and they're both reggae songs and they're really good and i gotta tell you i love to hear ringo drumming on reggae you know he's doing it a little bit more often now um and uh you know waiting for the tide to turn on the previous one king of the kingdom um you know i i love the sound of his drums and just to hear him do reggae which he didn't do for so many years you know, it's just interesting to hear him do something different on the drums. And I love all the fills that he that he does on that song. Um, Let's Change the World is another one of those peace and love songs and being positive and how we all have to change the world for the better. And I think a lot of people are getting a bit tired of it because he does it so much. But it's a message that I think is really important to him. And if you find different ways of saying the same message and they're enjoyable songs, I still enjoy them. The only thing I don't like about that song and maybe a little bit about Rock Around the Clock is that I think Ringo's vocals are you know, kind of processed. They, they sound like they're away from the microphone and I don't really care for that. I, I'd rather have it right there in your face kind of thing. But I love the whole arrangement of Let's Change the World. Uh, a very big part of these four songs are the, the background singers, the female vocalists, who as far as I'm concerned, play a big part in, in, in the overall sound. They blend so well, I think, with Ringo's vocals. Zelma Davis and um, Amy Keys and a few other names here. I really like how they work so well with Ringo's vocals. Um, and they're a highlight for me. Uh, Coming Undone, which Linda Perry wrote, I think is you know, the outstanding track most of all 
of the four. It's very catchy. Trombone Shorty plays on there. He does the trombone. He plays the trumpet. He does the horn arrangement. Adds so much overall to that song. It's got kind of a, I don't know if you want to call it a country and Western feel to it, but he just sounds so right at home doing that. And Rock Around the Clock really cooks as far as I'm concerned. I just wish, this is one time when, you know, hit records of the past were two minutes long, two and a half minutes long. This is really short. It's like 210 or something like that. I could have gone for a little bit longer and heard Joe Walsh play more lead guitar work. Um, that's the only drawback with Rock Around the Clock. Um, it's very high energy, high spirited. Sounds like it was done in one or two takes. And I love that aspect of it. It has that real live feel to it right there in the studio. So overall, you know, the, the main reason to listen to Ringo these days is simply, do you enjoy it? Do you have fun listening to it? You know, I'm not looking for groundbreaking work. I'm just listening to songs that I can simply enjoy and play over and over again. And this EP and the last one succeeds there. You know, he's given us 20 albums plus the two EPs and all the live stuff too. And, um, you know, I may have said this before, but I think Ringo is in a good place. He comes off that way in interviews. He's enjoying life. He knows that he can't be on the road right now. This is the best that he can do. He probably can't call on all these musicians to be in the same room with him. So he's making the most of this. And one particular aspect of this and the, and the previous EP is that he'll get certain artists to fly in digitally their tracks so they're not in the studio with them but still you'd never know it i think if you weren't told that um very uh, consistent sound all throughout so much of the stuff that he's done post mark hudson has a very bright sound to it i don't know if that's bruce sugar's doing you know it could be you know ringo and bruce probably was together collaborating on that production wise but i'm very pleased with it and i'm just so grateful at this point you know he's uh 81 he doesn't have to be doing this and um you can just tell from listening to this that he's really enjoying doing these songs and if this is the format he wants to go with for the moment you know it doesn't take too long to come up with four recordings um maybe we'll get more of this and uh anything we get now is a bonus to me between Ringo and Paul so uh I'm just so grateful that this came out and I'm super pleased with it all right. My opinion is actually a combination of uh, what the two of you said. Uh, to me, Ringo's like a friend. And when uh, a new recording comes out, it's like getting a letter or an email or a text message from a friend uh, that you love to hear from. Um, there's nothing new going on in this world. There's nothing new, meaning that he doesn't have any new stories or new things to say but it's just always a pleasure to hear from him and mm -hmm. it is like such a joy to see how well he's doing like you said ken he's in a good place seems very happy uh he seems 10 times healthier than i am um and i do look at him for uh, as an inspiration um 81 years old he doesn't look it he doesn't act it mm. and he still has the ability to make music and he wants to make music. There are so many artists, some of my older favorites from the past who have either 
resign themselves to be oldies acts and won't record new music or, um, you know, don't really, it's not that they're done, they'll retire. Hmm. Uh, there's no point in me making an album if it's not going to, if no one's going to buy it type logic. That kind of always disappoints me and sometimes annoys me when artists that I like, or really could be any artist who's been around a while, talks in terms of, well, why bother? No one's going to buy it. But you're an artist. Hmm. This is what you do. You made a career of decades of making music, writing it, performing it. Now you're not going to put it out because it's not going to sell. You know, some of the great painters didn't sell anything. <laughs> uh, didn't even have, have a name for themselves until after they passed away. Um, but here's Ringo at 81 years of age. He, ne he really hasn't had a huge selling record in decades. Uh, and he knows that. It doesn't matter to him. He likes making music. He likes mm. playing with friends, um, the camaraderie, and um, the companionship. And he just likes, this is what he does. He makes music. And uh, he's still doing it. And, you know, he's doing it as, as pretty much still as well as he ever was. Um, and these four songs are just a solid addition to his catalog. He knows he doesn't reinvent the wheel. He can't reinvent the wheel. He does what Ringo does. ACDC fans love ACDC because they do what they do. You know, they're not about to come up with a new symphony. They're not about to, uh, you know, make a 20-minute progressive rock opus. They're ACDC. They do what they do. You know what I mean? And there's other acts you could, you could throw in there as well. Ringo does what he does. He's a rock and roll drummer with roots to go back to the early days of rock and roll. Loves country music and knows that he's the type of musician that can do a little stuff up front and is also excels at being a collaborator. Uh, and, and he uses that and uh, puts out these EPs or, you know, maybe another album at some point in the future, who knows? And uh, like you said, Ken, I think you said it, Ken. Um, I'm thankful he's still doing it. Um, and I think it's solid. It's not, uh, uh, change the world isn't anything that um, is going to change the world. Um, you know, if you put, if you, if I have a fee, if I want to listen to some Ringo, I'm still going to go back to Ringo or Ringo Rama or Vertical Man or Goodnight Vienna more often than mm. not. But uh, I want Change the World. I like Change the World. I'm glad he did change the world. Um, I think the Let's Change the World is my favorite track. It's kind of hard to pick one. I've actually found that with these four, my opinions almost with each of the four tracks has changed each time I listen to them. This one I might mm. not have liked as much than the next time I listen to it. I like it more. I wasn't nuts about Rock Around the Clock at first. I thought his vocal was a little awkward in it. And then I've listened to it again and seen the video and I don't hear what I heard earlier on. Um, so uh, thumbs up and thank you Ringo for Change the World. And uh, I, I, I think Zoom In might be a touch better if that matters. Um, but uh, well, there's five songs, so you do get one more. He's got the advantage, <laughs> see that? Yeah, but um, so good for Ringo, Change the World, his new EP. 
Uh, it's it's on vinyl. I don't think he did a colored vinyl. I think there is one. Is there a colored vinyl? But there, it's on vinyl. It's on CD. I, of yeah, course. I think there is. There is and cassette. Right. Get it on cassette. And it's come to the point now where I would say more than half of the releases from all artists are coming out on cassette as well. And I have, I think I talked about this before. I mm. actually did see someone that had a, a, a new album available on a track. Seriously. I wish I could remember who it was too. So put it out on a track. Hey, if a tracks come are back, there, this artist, that artist is a trendsetter. Are there a track machines? Uh, no, but I, I tell you what, <laughs> you know, what's funny is, um, I think it's because cassette, there was I, cassettes always when I was younger, uh, there was there was something intriguing about cassettes. There was something mm. that I liked about cassettes, but they could infuriate me because I had a really high end stereo at home that usually picked up every fault on a pre-recorded tape. You know, mm. maybe a tape that was poorly manufactured or uh, so it was a love hate thing with me with cassettes. But I do miss them. I don't know why that I actually recently went on eBay and found uh, the little portable Zenith cassette recorder that I used to play with when I was a kid in the really? first half of the seventies. And I bought it for uh, someone on eBay for like 20 bucks. It doesn't work, but it just was something that like, you know, it made me happy to kind of have it or have one like it. Um, you mentioned eight track players. Uh, I believe there is a brand new, uh, it's like a Walkman, I guess, a brand new cassette player, which I think is being, sold on record store day. Uh, and there are a lot of cassettes that are coming out on record store day. Okay. Anyway. But eight tracks, yeah. I mean, eight tracks were always garbage. Yeah. I don't understand why that would be revived. You know, that's gotta be for the novelty of just putting it on your shelf. Yeah. You probably. Know, um, I mean, you know. in, I mean, in this day and age, I'm sure with technology, they could actually probably, make an eight track player and eight tracks that sound decent enough as mm. opposed to back in the day. Always mm. loved when the programs were changed mid song. Yeah. Um, so annoying. <laughs> or, or sometimes uh, songs would be altered so that they fit properly on the eight track. Mm. Um, the classic example is pigs on the wing parts one and two on animals from Pink Floyd that were combined as one song. And guitarist Snowy White recorded uh, an interlude that linked the two parts of Pigs on the Wing. And that's never been released. Uh, mm. Only if you had animals on a track, did you get Pigs on the Wing as one song with a guitar solo uh, from Snowy White connecting the two. So interesting. Interesting. So you know, in all these different formats, they find ways of trying to get the fan to buy it in that format somehow. Right. Yeah. The so new ABBA right. album, I think, is coming out. Uh, um, I think there's at least four different cassette variations <laughs> with different covers. At least wow. four. I think each cassette cover has got one of the members of ABBA on it. Um, and they've done that same thing with, I guess, CDs or the vinyl. There's multiple editions. So if anyone's really, really, really still going to get on McCartney for all the colored vinyl that he's been putting out lately, it's become the norm yeah. uh, in the industry right now. Um, so anyway, 
So yeah. from Ringo's EP Change the World, we go now to get the Beatles Get Back the Book, which is meant to be the companion to the upcoming film, Peter Jackson's film, The Beatles Get Back, uh, which we'll see uh, Thanksgiving in the two days uh, following. Uh, but the book's out now. We've known about the book for a while, if memory serves correct, right smack in the middle of the pandemic. Last year, there was talk about the book. I think you could even start pre-ordering it from all the way back then. Its publication was delayed, I believe, yeah. uh, bringing us to this point now. It came out, I guess, a couple of weeks back. Mm -hmm. uh, and as I mentioned before, my personal copy just arrived. Some de delay. I went with um, uh, the edition that Target published, which came with, uh, uh, what do you call movie cards? Okay. Know what they refer yeah, to? I know what you mean. Yeah, lobby yeah. cards. Um, yeah. Lobby, lobby cards. Yes. Lobby cards. Uh, and I know that there's another one I heard. I don't recall uh, who's, if it's like Walmart or something, had some other variation of that. And then, of course, there's the, the standard book. The book, the bulk of the contents in the book is the di dialogue transcribed from the Nagra tapes. Hmm. Um, and if you have all of the Nagra tapes, you can actually read along. It's like, you know, story time. The Beatles, are, you know, reading a storybook to you and you can follow along. It's a little bit of a tricky read when you're just reading the dialogue. Um, but it's fascinating if you want to just find out where their minds were at on a certain point during January 1969, you could go to that section and try to see in the dialogue uh, hmm. the transcription of what led up to the argument between Paul and George, if you could call it that, or, you know, something that you might have heard on a recording, a legal recording or a bootleg, find where its place was in the middle of a conversation. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a little light on facts about the meat and potatoes of what was going on that month. Uh, I think the one thing that I, it wasn't a surprise to me, but having it in print that I, I liked was that even up to the minute before they walked out on the, uh, on the roof, there was always some doubt about exactly what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Why are we filming it? Are we playing a concert? Are we not? Are we making an album? Are we not? Uh, let's make an album and a concert. No. And then there was always an air of what, you know, what's the point to all of this? And it mm -hmm. just, you know, developed itself naturally and sort of just stopped. The project just stopped. And, and, and you get a good sense of that in the book. The pictures are great, of course, and enough of my yakking. Let's find out what uh, what uh, let's say what you can and get your thoughts on the book. I really enjoyed it because you do go day by day in the studio and know what they were saying to each other. It's a little frustrating, and I'm not sure, Alan, you could probably um, tell us more about this. But there are plenty of times in the book where you, you get the feeling that you couldn't capture every single word that they were saying, maybe because they couldn't hear everything you'd hear. You see a lot of dot, dot, dots in between, you know, certain sentences. So you couldn't get everything that the Beatles were saying in their conversations, but um, it is fascinating. Like you said, uh, Darren, 
in the very beginning, you know, they were tossing around ideas for where this concert was going to be. And even from the start, George Harrison didn't want to give a concert. And I think once George came back after he left, you know, the whole idea behind doing a concert at some exotic location was scrapped. And even Ringo didn't want to go abroad because he had the Magic Christian to shoot at the very beginning of February. So it was several days before the Apple Roof concert that they actually came to the conclusion that that's what they would do. But, you know, it's kind of interesting to me when you read what they're saying to each other. It just seems like so many times George is saying something and the others aren't paying attention. You know, they're not, they're not really giving George consideration, especially when he's talking about not wanting to do a concert in the first place. You know, his attitude was everything has worked the way we worked before. Everything kind of falls into place. You know, we still end up making a good album. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just interesting to hear opinions change over time. And even I think it might have been the day before the Apple rooftop. Paul said he wasn't sure if, the, if, if they should do that. Even he was uncertain then, you know. The whole, this whole period is now more fascinating to me because maybe it's because of the trailer that came out, how, how they're kind of, they're looking at this period as though you got a month, really three weeks to come up with whatever you're going to do. And that should be an album and a concert. Can you pull it off? And you could either look at this period as being so productive because they wrote brand new songs. They were writing songs that ended up on Abbey Road. They were writing songs that weren't finished yet that ended up on their solo albums. And somehow they managed to do the concert on the Apple rooftop and they recorded enough material to make an album and let it be with some, some extra work done on Across the Universe and I Mean Mine. But was this a successful period? Or do you look at it as a time when there were a lot of tensions, you know, the cracks were showing in the band. There were various reasons why, you know, they could break up. There's even one moment there I was reading where George said, we've been in the doldrums for quite some time now. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it's time to quit. And Paul said, I was thinking about the same thing. And then you turn around and they could be having so much fun jamming on a certain song. It's so fascinating to see all the, 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 you know, how things change from day to day and attitudes change. Um, and you get a lot of that from reading this book. There's a whole bunch of things that I highlighted of, you know, what happened on certain days that I could talk about in a few moments. But um, I think we should give Alan a chance to talk. Okay. Um, I, I would challenge uh, the, the idea that George was against the concert from the start, because very early in there, he says, you know, so are we going to do some, you know, oldie goldies or, or what? And they have a discussion and, hmm. and George says, uh, um, suggests, I think, uh, every little thing is something that, that he thinks, oh, that, yeah. you know, so, um, and, and actually, if you go back to before the book, I mean, there were articles in like NME or, or some of the other British papers where 
he back when they were talking about doing something at the roundhouse before the let it be thing started where he talked about it he was you know we're going to do some we're going to do some concerts um and i remember the first time i read that i was really surprised because i had always heard that george particularly didn't want to do concerts and he and he does of course come around to not wanting to do concerts in in the course of this um what i found great about this book is that you know i've i've heard all the nagras and so i've heard all these discussions but somehow having them on paper in front of you uh and you can read them all at once without sitting through the rehearsals in between all these discussions. Um, really kind of clarified a lot of stuff that, you know, I'd heard them say, but somehow reading it seems a bit different. I should say that, um, you know, these are not the complete transcripts. Um, not surprisingly, the complete transcripts are out there. Someone has gone through the Nagras and made an absolutely complete set. And they're, uh, they're out on the internet. You can find them one way or another. Um, <coughs> and, and that really is great to have because there are a lot of discussions that are not in here, um, including two of my favorite discussions. Um, one, which I'm pretty sure I've mentioned on this show before, uh, when they're writing Get Back uh, and Paul's coming up with new words and he says, um, I, I've got it, Jojo left his home in Tucson, Arizona. And John says, is Tucson in Arizona? And Paul says, yeah, it's where they film High Chaparral. I can't think why they left that out. I mean, that is such a great exchange. Um, mm. And they have, you know, they have like a couple of minutes before it. it it's just as if it didn't go long enough to uh, um, include that for some reason. And the other one, and, and again, they have the stuff that's around it, but they cut this out possibly for more understandable reasons. Um, John starts talking about um, how Baden-Powell, who started the Boy Scouts, wouldn't let, you know, wouldn't let them wear shorts or something. It was something about Boy Scouts wearing shorts because, because uh, and then he gets into masturbation and, uh, uh, you can hear, you know, people on the set are just sort of falling over themselves laughing. You can hear them in the background while John is sort of talking about this. And then he ends by saying, but I can tell you, you don't go blind, just very short-sighted. <laughs> you know, it's great. And in fact, um, I believe it was in Michael Lindsay Hogg's original cut of the film, which was about an hour, hour and a half longer than the let it be that we saw. And which I hope, I think I said this last time uh, that when they released the DVD of their Blu-ray of Michael Lindsay Hogg's version, I, I would love it if they did his original cut because that apparently is a completely different film than the one we know. Uh, a lot funnier and uh, a lot more John. Um, anyway, um, there's there's great stuff in here, and if you um, if you have it on PDF, I, I mean I have it in, in physical and PDF. You, you you can make the PDF searchable, and that's very handy um, uh, because you can look up stuff. Uh, but I I. I 
came away from this, you know, having read it all together, as opposed to however long it takes to hear it on the, the Nagras, um, first of all, feeling a little sorry for Michael Lindsay Hogg. I mean, he's trying to do a project here and he's trying to do what he was hired to do, which is follow the Beatles around as they prepare an album's worth of material to be performed live. And the, the, the live thing is going to be the main part of the show, but there's going to be like an hour long documentary preceding it or something. I'm not sure we ever know how long it was supposed to be, but showing them rehearsing. Um, but it's just not happening. And all through these transcripts and of course the Nagras, they're discussing what the live show is gonna be or if there's gonna be a live show. Even when George comes back, they start talking about the rooftop. Um, I think they really begin talking about the rooftop about five days before the rooftop because it needs to be prepared. You know, They built that wooden platform for them to play on and mm. uh, you know, um, <laughs> a lot of stuff needed to be done. Talking about hiring a helicopter, <clears throat> which they said wasn't done, but I mean, there are shots that look like they're helicopter shots. Um, for instance, in the in the get back um, video, more than in, in the film, it looks like you can, you're coming down over the rooftop and and you're seeing them. You've seen that, right? I mean, mm. it's what it looks like. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, the way they're going back and forth and Michael Lindsay Hogg's, um, you know, what has to have been frustration, although he's keeping a really good sense of humor about it. Um, and uh, yeah, there's so many, so many things, um, you know, references that they make to things that went on in the past, like Manila and Memphis, you know, just just saying Manila and Memphis and, and John Harris, who edited this, put in a little italic note explaining what those mean for the, um, you know, for people in the world who don't know. Um, but what he didn't say about Memphis, I mean, he talked about the KKK um, uh, protesting outside the concert, but I, I don't think he mentioned that during the show, firecrackers went off and they all looked mm. at each other to see if anyone had been shot. You know, um, so you can see how these, you know, that in Manila became just sort of, you know, one word evocative symbols for them. All they need to do is say the one thing and, and, and they all knew what they meant. Um, there are some great discussions like, you know, Paul talking about John and Yoko. He's very open to John and Yoko. Um, and, and basically taking the point of view of, okay, John wants to be with Yoko. I mean, he always goes a little overboard, but like, we can't tell him not to bring her to meetings, you know? Um, and uh, let's see, there, was, there, were, there really were so many things. This is a, a very rich book of stuff. I wish it was absolutely complete, but what's mm. in there uh, really tells us a lot. Another thing is um, uh, when, Ken was talking, I mean, you said, you know, to do a new album's worth of stuff in a month. Actually, the original plan, you know, they talk about it is to do the concert on the 18th. Now they're starting on January 2nd and they expect to have a whole album's worth of new stuff ready to perform live on January 18th. 
that seems a little bit insane for a band that hasn't played as a band in public for three years, close to three years. Um, you know, but, you know, they, it, it, it was very ambitious and um, they obviously had some confidence in themselves. Um, but, you know, it is kind of crazy to, you know, consider, you know, how much stuff they went, were, they ran through, how many things that ended up on Abbey Road and solo albums that, you know, they touched on mm. and could have prepared. And you just, you just begin to think that if they had done this after Ringo did The Magic Christian right. instead of before it, so that they wouldn't have had a deadline. So they could have said, okay, if it takes us a month and a half to learn all the material, fine, then we'll do the show or whatever, you know? And the amount of material that was brought up, they could have done another double album, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I really enjoyed this book. It's, I think, a, a, gonna be a great reference for this particular period in the Beatles history, um, along with the Nagras. I've been thinking the same thing about that deadline because of the magic Christian, you know, and yeah, like why? Paul said uh, in, in the, um, in the trailer, you know, when our backs are up against the wall, yeah. you know, that's when we deliver. And, uh, you know, it, I mean, you it's, could it's also really take the point of view. I, I was thinking this while I was reading that, that, you know, well, wait a minute. Okay. Ringo has the magic Christian to do, but, you know, fundamentally his job is being in the Beatles and being the Beatles drummer. So doesn't that take precedence over being in a so-so film with a great bad finger track in it? You know? <laughs> hmm. Well, it's like you said, if they, they could have pushed back Ringo's filming maybe to March or April or something, mm -hmm. you know, and that would have changed, that could have easily changed the whole outcome of this. I mean, I for think the album added, and the concert. Hmm? I'm sure um, there uh, were so many, you know, wheels that were in motion regarding uh, the Magic Christian. They couldn't probably push it off, but it's a fascinating, uh, a fascinating thought about what would have happened if they had more time to play with. Um, Actually, for, if I'm not mistaken, the Magic Christian was to be filmed at Twickenham. Right. And so they actually let the Beatles use the film studios and delayed. That's why production. Peter Sellers turns up um, right. during, during the filming. Um, and Peter Sellers was present for the Baden-Powell um, Boy Scouts and Shorts discussion, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, in going through this book, I came away with um, a few things, nothing that I really was uh, that there wasn't totally eye-opening to me. I, I kind of knew some of these facts. First of all, um, you know, we've had this uh, discussion that the Let It Be movie painted a dark picture of that time. And a lot like what happened coming out of the release of the White Album Anniversary set, which we also have always heard was a very fractured time for the band making that album. But then the box set comes out and Giles Martin leads the way saying, no, it actually wasn't like that. It was a rather positive 
uh, experience. Uh, and what I came away from that was thinking when the on-air light was on, it was a positive experience. Um, but there was still life going on when that light was off. And, mm. you know, things were starting to rear their ugly head. Life was. And here, again, we see the dark side of this month in the movie Let It Be, and perhaps a rather fractured album that comes out uh, that Phil Spector has to put together, which really isn't anything like what they originally were planning. Uh, and then we get, you know, now we hear about Peter Jackson's film, and it was a positive, fun, happy time type uh, idea. This book, you can see that, yeah, there were tensions. They were going on. You know, regardless of what anyone else says, they were going on simultaneously with the good times. Uh, like any band of brothers that have been practically living together for as long as they have, there's going to be bad along with the good. And going through the dialogue, you do pick up here and there moments of unease. Um, so if you were beginning to think, gee, maybe the let it be uh, period wasn't as dark as I thought, uh, and we're going to see a sunny uh, sunny side to it when the film comes out hmm. uh, on Disney+. Plus. Well, the book kind of justifies that uh, there was... You know, there was, there, there was pressure there. It was there. And you'd have moments when John would have the whole room cracking up. Um, reading their reaction to George Harrison's departure was a li little bit of that. I shouldn't say there was no eye opener. It was a little bit of an eye opener to me because it was taken so nonchalant and matter of fact. Oh, where's George? If he's not here by Tuesday, we're calling Eric. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, we'll just get Eric. Very off the cuff, matter of fact. Um, I would think it would they would go into crisis mode. No, they didn't. It was almost like another day at the sh at the office. And even if you knew that, reading the dialogue of how matter of fact they were about the whole thing is is a bit of an eye opener. Actually, seeing it in print right in front of you. It's also clear George is not happy at this at this time. Uh, there's very little pleasure he's getting out of being in the Beatles. Again, that's not a revelation. But seeing it, reading it here in the book, you could tell, especially in the part where George and John are having a conversation and George kind of just off the cuff mentions essentially I think when we're done here, I'm going to do a solo album because I've got all of these songs and I'm sure there was a little bit of that was a little bit of a backhanded way of saying none of you seem terribly interested in the things that I'm bringing to the table right now. I might as well go off and do a solo album. And I think I'm going to do that. And you almost get the impression that John's not giving him in full 100 percent attention. His reaction. What? Oh, your own album. Oh. Okay. It you depends know, it, on how you interpret that. Because I, I just did a show with, with Al Sussman and Tom Franjone. And when George said that to John, it was almost like, well, Tom thought it might, it might have meant to John, well, good, you're making a solo album. Then we don't have to deal with your material. 
I think it's somewhere it's in between. Maybe. I mean, yeah, no, it could be. It could be. I, well, I, I thought that John was being very encouraging um, in that conversation where, where he was saying, uh, yeah, you know, you do that. There's, there's no reason that any of us shouldn't be able to. I mean, and, you know, and the underlying thing that they're not saying out loud because, you know, they don't have to, they know this, is that, hey, they have Apple. You know, John's put out his solo things. George has put out Wonderwall. And, uh, you know, it should be possible for them to do. And, and, and I think John even says, you know, that way we could do what we want in solo albums and still preserve this Beatle thing. I'm not sure if John says that or George says that. It might have been George, yeah, actually. Um, well, but I, 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 I certainly want to believe that, what you're saying. That's how I would interpret it. But, you know, at the same time, one of the things that's not in these transcripts in the book that I had read uh, was a comment that John made. This was, I, I guess, before George came back. He said that the Beatles don't necessarily have to be a foursome. It doesn't have to be just the four of us. So he's thinking, I think, you know, in the back of his mind, you know, if Yoko wants to contribute, she could be part of the band. So they're having all these discussions and John is thinking, and even after George left, he had even said words, the effect that he wasn't sure if he wanted him back. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's powerful stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So you either take it, you can make everything overblown, what was said, but if you're changing your opinion so much in this time period, and John was known for doing that, you know, how serious do you take everything that he says? But I also think, you know, with the whole concept of what the Plastic Ono Band is supposed to be, that it could be an ever-changing band and anybody can be in it. You know, maybe he was having those thoughts through Yoko's influence. And if John said this as he did to the band about it, it doesn't have to be strictly, we don't have to think it's just four people. Mm -hmm. And these four people then that leaves other options. You can add, you know, new members. You want to add Clapton, you could do it. Kind of like Plastic Ono Band. You know? Right. So This is but, before Billy Preston turned up as well. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so that in a way, and I think George might not have been around for that discussion, and yet he brought in Billy Preston. So hmm. it's interesting. There's another really interesting section in here. Um, you know, the way the book is... It, is done it's uh you know every it's it's done chronologically you know so for instance here's monday january 9th you know and it's got the mm. pictures and and the dialogue from that day um on the 27th um i think john had been to meet with alan klein the night before and one thing first of all i mean it's this is great because the discussion takes place while Paul is out at some other meeting, you know, before that, as someone says to him, I thought to John, I thought you had a meeting. No, that was Paul. And, and they know when Paul left and John says, you know, by the way, you know, we, I met with Klein and it, it, it's clear that none of them knew he was going to, because George says, you met with him last night, you know, because John said I was there till two. Um, and John 
talks about, you know, his experience talking to Alan Klein and how much Alan Klein knew about them to the point where Alan Klein knew about, uh, you know, Isherwood, one of their accountants who, you know, the rest, the rest of the world didn't really know much about and, and a few other people who worked for them on a very, very backroom basis that, you know, were not publicly known. This really impressed John. Um, and, you know, and we'd always read, you know, John had said in Rolling Stone, this guy knew everything about me and about the Beatles and about us. But this shows like in a granular way, how much Klein knew when he turned up at that meeting and how impressed John was with what Klein came to the meeting knowing and, 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 uh, thing is that this is the, you know, without making any judgments about Alan Klein per se, it's sort of like this is the moment when, you know, the first little cancer cell begins, you know, to replicate within the body of the Beatles. Um, because it was, as we know, the, the dispute between Paul and the others regarding Alan Klein, that basically is what led to the end of it. And, uh, you know, all the tensions that we know during Let It Be, that's, you know, par for the course for a band, maybe. But here, the management dispute became the big thing. And here is absolutely the root of it right in these discussions. And it goes into great detail. That's another really interesting part of the book. Something else uh, that I thought was interesting was um, they really were hoping that the police were going to get involved on that rooftop uh, concert. They were banking on it. And I wonder what would have happened had the cops not shown up. <laughs> you know, th th I never knew that, that they were so sure they were going to show up. That they and they wanted them to show up, and they were thinking even extremes of being carried off uh, and taken away by the police. They had camera crews set up in in the uh, which we see in the movie, the shot mm. of the cops coming to the front door uh, mm. of Apple. But they had that set up behind a two way mirror um, that they wanted, you know, to to capture any activity going on down in the lobby. Uh, I thought that that was pretty, pretty interesting. Uh, and that actually, even at times, uh, reading between the lines, almost became like when the cops show up, that'll make this performance. That'll make the story. That'll be why we're doing, you know, mm. uh, why we're doing this. That's how we'll end it, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, you know, Darren, I'm glad that you brought that up because... It does say in the book here and get back and the actual date here is um, January the 7th. Paul actually says it's almost in a way we should do a show in a place we're not allowed to do it. You know, like we should trespass, go in, set up and then get moved. And that should be the show getting forcibly ejected, still trying to play your numbers and the police lifting you. It's so ironic that he said this because that's exactly what happened. It makes you wonder if maybe this was all planned or staged from the very beginning once they decided it was going to be on the Apple rooftop. Yeah. You know, I think once you decide that you're going to play a performance on a rooftop in the middle of London, um, 
the odds are extremely high, like maybe very close to 100% that the cops are going to come. You know, it's, it's the middle of the day. It's in a business district. Um, there's no way you could do that without, without any kind of reaction from the police or someone calling the police and demanding a reaction or, you know, it, it, it was just going to happen. Um, and then they talk about uh, when they're talking about the rooftop, they, they do talk about whether the police would come and um, what they could do to basically control the event because they wanted to get a show recorded on the roof. They wanted the police to come. They, would, they were happy with that idea, but they didn't want the police to come and shut them down after two numbers, you know? Mm. So they're talking about, well, maybe the door could be locked and then maybe the door to the roof could be locked and, you know, we could keep them out that way. And so they're, I think what they meant by that is keep them out until we're ready for them to come. And that's kind of what happened. I'm not sure why, you know, it took, 40 minutes for the cops to get up to the rooftop, but they did. Um, and I think in one of the other books um, that we discussed recently, uh, maybe Ken Mansfield's book, um, <clears throat> he talked about the police and how, you know, the, the, the cops who came were fairly young and actually were sort of into it. You know, they, they didn't want to have to stop it, but, you know, it, it kind of is their job. So, uh, so, so they did, but yeah, it, it, it is interesting. I mean, I think it's a really interesting coincidence that Paul said that on January 7th, when there was as of yet no thought about the rooftop, they were still discussing the possibility of going to Libya and doing it in an amphitheater, you know? Mm. Um, so yeah, it, 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 it worked out well. <laughs> It's very, very few times you can say that, you know, the cops coming and telling you to stop what you're doing works out well. But in this case, I guess it did. It's also interesting. You know, I've often brought up this, the idea that, you know, they only did five songs on the Apple rooftop and they repeated some of them several times. And I was wondering, you know, if that concert wasn't stopped, what would they have done? Would they have kept playing the same five songs over and over again? And actually, they, there's one moment here before the concert starts where Paul runs down a list of like 12 songs that they can yeah. do. And that kind of surprised me, including Old Brown Shoe. <laughs> um, I just want to read this list here because it might surprise some people that don't have the book. I've got a feeling, don't let me down, get back. Old Brown Shoe. Long Unwinding Road, Let It Be, For You Blue, Two of Us, Dig a Pony, Across the Universe, Maxwell Silver Hammer, and One After 909. But they knew that some so, of couldn't be done on the roof because it had a piano or you know, right. whatever else. And George Martin said that, you, you know, for One After 909, bring an electric piano, mm-hmm. you know, for that. Um, and you couldn't do Let It Be or Along the Winding Road for that reason, I guess. Right, right. You know, you're not going to bring up an acoustic piano all the way up on the roof. But I found it really interesting. You know, this is the first time that I've read this, actually, although it was in the original book, I'm sure, that John said that he tried to give one after 909 to the Rolling Stones <laughs> instead of I want to be your man, but they didn't want it. Did you ever hear that before? Well, just listening to the Nagras, yeah, but 
Um, it's not something that really stuck in mind particularly. Um, it, it sounds like the kind of thing that John would say where you, you wonder whether it's even true or whether he's just riffing, you know? Hmm. Okay. Someone has to ask Mick Jagger. <laughs> okay. I have a question for the two of you. Uh, I have the book here on uh, on my iPad, and I hopefully can find this now. I was wondering because I'm into the logistics of things. I my goal now <laughs> uh, is one of these days when I'm back in London. I want to get in, even though it's been completely remodeled. I want in that building. Now, it's been in Abercrombie and Fitch. I don't know if it still is. Um, but there is a little, I think, some sort of little, like, uh, um, area where they acknowledge the fact that Apple was in this building. Um, because I'm going to get on the roof just to see it for my myself. <laughs> it's also been remodeled. There are some, there's a video and uh, there's some photographs of today where renovations were done on the roof. The logistics are a little different up there now. Does anyone know where this picture was taken? What, 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 within, I guess, the Apple building, the door, the big grand wooden door that Ringo is sitting in front of. Any ideas? Don't have a clue. No, they had some fancy offices in there. That could be out, just outside one. Like they had a, a large sort of um, boardroom. Right. Uh, boardrooms, which... which uh, in, in, in the course of researching the uh, McCartney Legacy, Volume 1, I did an interview with Peter Brown where he described some of these rooms where they had meetings, a particular meeting that I was asking him about. And it was like a big boardroom that had an elevator uh, at the back that went down to the kitchen so that the kitchen staff could bring up food to serve in this boardroom. Uh, or maybe there was a, maybe it was a dumb waiter or something like that. Uh, really, kind of uh, a fancy or architecturally fancy stuff. Um, so that that maybe that that could be the door of that room for all I know. And and I know I'm being silly here with some of these observations, but I find pictures like this fascinating. Now, if you've seen the roof today, or if you've seen a picture of it pre-concert or somehow, uh, you'll notice that uh, well. You won't notice unless you see it. There, there is no railing. And being someone who's a little skittish of heights, um, I don't know how well. Does this trend? Can you see that? How, how well that? Okay, they yeah. put fake scaffolding to act as barriers at the edge. Yeah. Can Can you? I don't know if that. Yeah, trend, I can see it. Yeah. Um, and this guy's leaning on it like. I'm sorry. That really gives that that can give, can it? That's not there permanently. That uh, thank you. I guess it's possible, right? I mean, they had to build up the roof to have this, and of course, the staging that was done. A lot of wood had to be brought up there to have, uh, you know, to have a like a reinforcement. Mm. I guess they were thinking that they could fall through the roof. They brought enough stuff up there. Uh, but stuff like that, and, and you could dig into all of these pictures all in one place here in the book. You get a better better look if you have the book and you want to find a picture that looks a little like this. Uh, you could see how the, you know, the scaffolding has been put up in the front of the, that there's no, you could walk right off the roof. 
Uh, there's no like, you know, barriers there. And the camera crews were hovering right near the edge of the roof, uh, uh, you know, getting their shots. And they've got equipment leaning up against those, you know, barricades, temporary barricades they put up. Um, just I find that type of thing very fascinating on where the magic happened. Uh, and um, having been in Abbey Road Studio 2 once, that was like, you know, you could hear my jaw hit the floor and me dragging it around as I walked around because this was where it happened. And, you know, there's the stairs and I could touch the banister. And just fascinating how they uh, pulled off this, you know, in a, in a little space and Mal Evans uh, earned a earned a paycheck lugging all that stuff up the up the uh, stairs to the roof, all the equipment and building the stage and all that. We'll have to ask uh, anybody that we can contact that was on the Apple rooftop about that. It is, yes, it's that, interesting how, we, how dangerous that was. Yeah, here you go. Here, here, I just by accident felt like whose bright idea was it to lean that. You see that? That's leaning mm. against the temporary scaffolding. Mm. Now, if get, I were there Ken down Mansfield on the... Back. What? Get Ken Mansfield back. <laughs> well, if I, I know what would happen. If I were there in 1969 downstairs outside the front door, <laughs> that would fall on me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's just... Yeah. And then, uh, you know, there's another shot here. Also, did people know that this performance, did the neighbors know what might be happening? Because we are here in the very early stages. They haven't, I don't think they've performed yet. Okay. Mm -hmm. Who are these people on the roof across the street? What are they looking at? Are they looking to see the Beatles setting up their thing that they've maybe found out about? Is something sinister going on? Is that like a scene for a cop show? (laughs) Is that the who? Hmm. They're going to do the same thing and they're like, ah, they beat us. These are the little things that like are fascinating to me. I'm sure there's some nuts out there that think the same as me. And this book is a treasure trove because you got all of these pictures uh, beautifully reproduced uh, that you could just spend, you know, if you can't read like I can't and you look for pictures, there's a lot you can dissect in the photos alone. Right. Um, I'm pretty sure the neighbors didn't know what was about to happen. But if you were across the street and you were seeing all this equipment being set up, you'd be curious and you might go out on your roof. Somebody was playing hooky from work or something that day and they've been captured in that picture. Someone went up uh, on the roof to smoke a joint and yeah. said, hey, what's going <laughs> hey, on what, at what, Beatles place? Um <laughs> Alan, you say you you have uh, read and heard the Nagra and the full dialogue is out there. Mm-hmm. What percentage would you guesstimate is in this book? Gosh. 75%, 50%? I would say at least 75, maybe more. I mean, you know, the only way I was able to really judge was looking specifically for things that I wanted to see if it were included. Um, and didn't find them, but I, I, I can't think of, you know, huge 
swaths of stuff that isn't in there. Um, it, it does a, a really good job of sort of going from the first to the last day and, and getting an awful lot of the dialogue. So maybe 75% or it's certainly well more than 50. Um, I'm pretty sure of that. Um, it also includes, <laughs> excuse me, <clears throat> some of the dialogue from people on the street, which I really could have done without. I mean, it was interesting seeing it maybe the first couple of times I watched Let It Be, and I gather that um, it's going to be in the new version too. But um, I, I know this sounds, you know, I, I use the word churlish for Paul about not wanting to sign autographs before, so I'll use it about myself as well. <laughs> maybe it's churlish, but I don't fundamentally care what a bunch of people on the street in London in 1969 thought about the fact that the Beatles were playing on the rooftop. Some were open to it, some weren't, some liked the Beatles, some didn't care, some liked their stuff but didn't buy their albums. None of that means a thing to me. I don't <laughs> care. I don't need it in the book. I'd rather have the Bad and Pal discussion in there. And I don't need it in the film either. So, Peter, really, you may have time to recut. Get those people out. They're not interesting at all. Thank you. Yep. Certainly in the Get Back documentary, leave out the people on the street. But if you're, if you're going to put out the original Let It Be Again, which originally I heard they were going to do, you know, keep it intact. Yeah. The way that it was. Yeah. If I can make can I, one more goofy observation here, I found another picture that I didn't see before. If you can, I don't know. Again, I'm sorry if it, no, you could kind of see. Well, I can see That's it. before the show. That's when they're probably looking over the situation. Can we do this and what would need to be done? There's a skylight of some sort that had to be covered. There's, right. you know, so uh, even more of a reason why they needed to put in the, planks of wood and build that sort of a stage, if you will. And on the edge, there is no railing whatsoever mm -hmm. at the edge of, this, of, of the roof. So I, I wouldn't go right. near the edge, even if there was a permanent thing there. But, but <laughs> Actually, I, what I, struck I, me about that, those pictures, like the one, there were a few like that, um, was that like, we know how cold it was up there. I mean, we've heard from someone who was up there how cold it was up there. So seeing Mal in a short sleeve shirt, just standing there not looking like he's freezing is, is kind of unusual. Big, big burly Mal. Yeah. You know I, mean? mm. uh, I kind of think the same thing about the Abbey Road photo shoot. It was August. They were wearing jackets. Yeah. What? what? Anyway. I don't know. You think too much, Darren. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to mention a few things that maybe I could toss around here and maybe one of you have the answer to. Very beginning of the book, George Harrison walks in to, with the others and he says, I wrote a song which he referred to as Taxman Part Two. I'm trying to think of what that could be. Don't know. Sort of wondered about that myself. Yeah. Um, January 6th, there's a discussion on actually doing two concerts. Um, they do a lot of talking about what kind of audience they're looking for mm -hmm. in the, early on. Um, also, George suggested to Paul that he should give Let It Be to Aretha Franklin. Mm -hmm. 
which she ended up recording, which I found to be pretty interesting. Um, one particular day, uh, January 16th, Paul's the only one that showed up. Mm-hmm. He just uh, performed O'Darlin at the piano and left. <laughs> so I don't know what was going on with the band at that point. You now, know, there's never... The what was the date of that, Ken? January 16th. Um, you know, th- there's really nothing about, uh, we've all seen the, the argument that, that Paul and George had, but George left after he had an argument with John. Mm-hmm. And I wish that there was something in, as far as a transcription about talking about that, you know, what they were talking about or arguing about, which led him to walk out on the Beatles. Yeah, and that isn't in the Nagras either. It, it apparently took place at lunch. Um, it's interesting about the argument with Paul and George that, that we know from Let It Be, hmm. um, because when you listen to the Nagras or now read this book, um, you're seeing a lot more of the discussion. And it's really interesting because there are two things going on there. One is the specific stuff about the song and Paul talking about, you know, it's complicated and let's do it, you know, complicate it later. And George saying it's not complicated. But beyond that, there's a larger discussion of basically how to rehearse. And Paul and George have different philosophies of that, um, both of which are valid, um, but they each want to do it a certain different way. Um, Mm. uh, Paul, I think, wanted to just, you know, keep when there was a problem, stop and fix it. And George is arguing that, no, we should just keep playing through these things. And as we keep playing through them, they'll get better. It will come together. Um, so those are two different ways of looking at it. I mean, I, I don't know. I've, I've been in bands. We've done that both ways. I'm sure you guys too. Um, you know, they're, they're both valid approaches. Um, but they're, you know, the argument started really about that and then became more specific about the song they were working on. Um, and it, you know, it isn't, as you, as you read it, it, it isn't a knockdown drag out. The only thing that makes it look in the film a little more intense than it is, is because they don't want to be having this discussion in front of the cameras. And so they lean in and kind of like semi whisper you know, so that they can be out of the range of the cameras, but they're picked up anyway. Um, it doesn't, it, it, it's, it's not a horrible fight, it, but it does have, you know, Paul saying, you know, every, every time I, I, I'm trying to help, but I, I seem to be annoying you. And George mm. says something interesting. He says, no, you don't annoy me anymore. <laughs> anymore you know so obviously <laughs> there's, there's some history here that we don't quite know because you know maybe it was during the white album we didn't have the cameras on we didn't have nagras running the whole time um so interesting stuff like that there you know this it doesn't solve every mystery it raises a number of mysteries but but it does solve a lot this book there will always be mysteries when it comes to the beatles (laughs) um there's also a photo of them with alan williams who who visited them I don't know what the circumstances were, why he chose to visit them then. Mm-hmm. 
Um, long and winding road, Paul says, we were planning to do it anyway for a couple of numbers just to have a bit of brass and a bit of strings. So he was thinking about it being a little bit more elaborate than just the band, mm-hmm. you know, early on here. So that's some of the stuff that um, I found to be really interesting. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a part I don't remember hearing. Um, I'll, have to, I'll have to now go find that and see if I can <clears throat> hear that, that bit of dialogue. But yeah, it, it was interesting that they wanted to, th- that he thought of it. He, and he said, I don't like it bare, which is, uh, which is interesting. Mm. You know, because bare was how it would have had to be if they stuck to their original plan. You know, but as you can see in this book, I mean, partway through it, they change their focus to, okay, now we're making an album. It's no longer, it's no longer for some final performance. We're making an album. We're just doing it as an album, but the performance idea never went away. You know, I Mm. think Michael Lindsay Hogg really wanted to do that. And Paul goes back and forth. You know, we get the impression a lot of the time that Paul was really gung ho on this. Let's do a performance the whole time. But but there's part of this where he's saying, yeah, I don't know if I want to do it either. And and as I think Ken mentioned, uh, he wasn't sure he wanted to go on the rooftop. And there's another another interesting point where John says, I have agreed to everything that has been mentioned, you know, whether it was doing it in Africa or on the moon or whatever, or on the rooftop, I've, I've been for it, you know, and it's uh, again, a little different than the, um, the sort of uh, received wisdom of what John's feeling was about it. Some of which may come from John's post post Beatles interviews. Um, but still, he 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 was open to anything here, you know. In this, I got the feeling too. Towards the end, Paul was saying words the effect of, "It always comes down to making an album." Mm-hmm. And you know, the thing about the Beatles is that they were always, they never wanted to keep repeating themselves. They always wanted to do something different. And the idea to Paul and I guess Michael Lindsay Hogg too to do a concert in some special place, some exotic location that appealed to, to him. That'd be something different for them to do, yeah. but still in the end, they're making another album. And so I think maybe, I don't want to say that bored Paul, but I think he was looking for you know another outlet or something different for the Beatles to do. This, Absolutely. This a, yeah. I mean, keep in mind, I mean, he was the one who came in and said, okay, we're, we're getting a little tired of being the Beatles. Let's be Sergeant Pepper's band. And right. then the next thing is let's just hire a bus and a film crew and go, <laughs> you know, go film something, you know? And then the, then George came up with um, let's learn meditation and go to India. And then the white album came after that. And now here they are with the next thing. Paul wants to do something else. You're right. He, he was trying to, um, you know, it was always going to end up in an album. In this case, it was supposed to end up in a live album. Um, but he was trying to find different ways of doing it. And uh, I think, I, I can't remember the degree to which the others agree with that or not in here. I think it's just that this is, this is what he's saying in the middle of a discussion and, um, and the others are talking about other things as well, or they go back to rehearsing or whatever, but, but that does come through clearly. That is another important part. Mm-hmm. 
a lot of stuff in this book, you know, for, for what, you know, looks on the surface, like, you know, a picture book, it's, it's got an awful lot of info. There's, there's Ringo in that door again. Yeah. (laughs) I found it fascinating. Hmm. I really did. Any, uh, final observations or is it time to close the book on this things we said today now it's time to say goodbye say good night <laughs> uh, good night sleep tight all right well uh obviously a big thumbs up to the book big thumbs up to ringo cp mm-hmm. uh there'll be a heck of a lot more let it be get back talk uh uh, as we make our way through the final weeks of the year, because we've got the film coming, uh, Peter Jackson's movie. Uh, so uh, a lot more where that came from. And uh, so let's go around the horn again, and this time share our contact information, starting off with Ken. Okay, if anyone would like to email me directly, you can write to me at everylittlething at att.net. Speaking of Every Little Thing, which is my syndicated Beatles show on uh, on the group um, for radio, this week there's a new one that I produce, which has tracks from the new Let It Be box set, new Ringo as well. And if you want to find out where you can hear Every Little Thing, there is a page on my website, kenmichaelsradio.com, for the show itself. It lists all the radio stations that carry it and the time of day and what time zone it is. And that's the only way you can hear it. It's not a show that you can listen to on demand. But fortunately, I have 52 stations now. And you can listen to the show any day of the week. Most times during the week, especially as you approach the weekend. Um, In addition to that, um, I just did a a really wonderful interview that I mentioned a few times here with Al Sussman and Tom Franjone. And we all know Al from being a part of this show for several years as a co-host and being a writer for Beatle fans since the very beginning and Tom Franjone, uh, who also has been writing for Beatle fan. Um, the two of them were a, a fairly big part of my radio show when it ran for 10 years on WDHA in New Jersey from uh, 1983 to 1993. Very often the two of them would come on together, do a year in review show, which we continue to do on this show and on my other podcast, Talk More Talk. It all started on that show and they added so much and we were a great team together. And uh, it's the first time since all three of us have been together and just the three of us since my years at WDHA, which, as I said, ended in 1993. And so it's all about let it be more conversation just like this. Tom, by the way, has done so much work on the Beatles. Um, He's helped out Joe Johnson's Beatle Brunch. He helps out Mark Lapidos at the Fest for Beatle fans doing any number of things in both locations in New York and Chicago. And now for five years, he co-hosts it's three different shows on Sirius XM's Beatles channel. So, you know, I applaud him for all this work that he's been doing and um, continuing to doing great work on the Beatles channel. And it, it, I had a blast. You know, it's, it's over two hours, that show. It felt like half an hour. So if you can, if you want to hear more discussion on Let It Be, um, make sure you check out my YouTube channel, which is Ken Michaels Radio, and please subscribe to that. And then um, there's Talk More Talk, a solo Beatles video cast 
um, where we just did a show on Let It Be. And uh, yeah, we're going to be doing a show on Paul McCartney's lyrics book, um, as we're going to do on this show as well. That show airs every other Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern on our Facebook page, Talk More Talk, a solo Beatles video cast. After that, we put it up on YouTube. And um, it's on every single platform imaginable, Spotify, Our Heart Radio, you name it. And that's with um, Kid O'Toole, Mean Mr. Mayo, Joe Mayo, and Tom Hunyadi from The Two Legs, uh, solo Paul McCartney podcast. We also did a recent show on the Sometime in New York City album as well. You might want to check out, looking back on that album all these years later. Okay, and um, I guess that's it. Oh, by the way, Beatles trivia every week on my website, kenmichaelsradio.com. Win one of 10 great prizes every single week. And uh, just go to the Beatles trivia and games page right there. I think that's everything. All right, Alan. Okay, you can reach me most directly by uh, either on Facebook. Well, on Facebook, either at Alan Cozen or Alan Cozen Remixed. Um, you can contact any or all of us by email at things we said today radio show at gmail.com. That's things we said to, to <laughs> things we said today radio show, all one word at gmail.com. Um, we have a Twitter feed at things we said fab. Um, and we have a couple of group Facebook pages, one of which is, not surprisingly, things we said today. Uh, and the other one is things we said today, Beatles radio fans. Um, the shows all get posted uh, or links to the shows get posted on the Facebook pages. The shows can be found on YouTube where if you haven't subscribed to us, please do. Um, and also on Podbean and iTunes and various other <clears throat> places where fine podcasts can be found. And I think that's about it. And those other fine podcasts are saying, what are these guys doing here? <laughs> um, as for me, you can uh, send me an email at WFUV. It's Darren DeVivo at WFUV.org. And if you want to tune in. Uh, oh, also Facebook. I have two Facebook pages. If you search Darren DeVivo, you probably will find, would definitely would find your way to Darren DeVivo. The other one it's a bit of a longer title. Uh, so you like me, uh, follow me on one, send me a friend request on the other. Um, and let's see. Oh, if you want to tune in and listen. Prop. <laughs> okay, got that? 90.7 FM if you're in the New York City metropolitan area. Uh, or stream us anywhere, uh, WFEV.org. And we have an app, you download that. Uh, and you can listen on the app. And I am on the air Monday through Thursday nights, starting at 10 p.m. And Saturday afternoons from 1 to 4 p.m. Right before Mixed Bag with Don McGee. And for those of you who, of course, remember the great, late, great Pete Fornital, mm. uh, that is Pete Show, Mixed Bag. Uh, and that comes on after me at 4 p.m. on a WFUV on Saturday afternoons. So... Uh, that's about it for Ken, for Alan, and me. 
so uh, thanks so much for spending time with us and we will see you uh, in a couple of weeks and enjoy your Let It Be box set and your Get Back book and your Change the World EP. Later. Take care.